Tami nui ki a koutou katoa. Welcome to Korotuturu Real Gold, the podcast series that explores all things heritage and research. Each year Auckland Libraries works with scholars from the Auckland History Initiative, a research collaboration at the University of Auckland. In this series we present research projects from the 2023 Summer Scholars exploring aspects of Tamaki Makaurau, Auckland's history. Students spend 12 weeks over the summer break exploring the varied and rich archives on a subject of their choice under the supervision of Professor Linda Breda and Dr Jessica Parr. In this track, Sue Berman sits down with a number of the Auckland History Initiative students to discuss their research journey. Kia ora, and thanks so much for making the time today. I wonder if you could just introduce yourself and your research topic. Kia ora, I'm Sasha, um, and my research topic was the Auckland Lunatic Asylum. And I was interested in the asylum as a built environment that sort of reflected the cultural ideas and values and attitudes of the time during which it was built, which was the late 1800s. And does this topic come out of an existing sort of thesis or research that you're doing? Uh, it's not specifically related to any research I'm doing for university, um, but I'm an anthropology student and I've done some work on cultural landscapes and so those sort of built environments that we construct and that represent our cultural ideas. And so I sort of wanted to apply that to what I thought was sort of quite an impressive building, um, having seen the asylum going past on the bus and that sort of thing. And so I was sort of interested in combining my interest in the asylum with my interest in cultural landscapes. Um, and I've just seen your presentation and I really enjoyed also seeing the very live photo that you clearly took of the building in its current situ. Um, but also that quote that you had about um, this indigenous kind of material, use of materials in, in building that, the bricks, the, the timber, etc. Tell me a little bit about your journey in finding that those sorts of um, research quotes. Those sort of quotes are, um, there's some really great quotes from newspapers at the time because how journalists wrote um, in the 19th century is very different to how we think of journalists writing today as sort of a bit of a sensationalist bent to it. And um, quotes like that one, that was sort of the result of what looked like maybe a little bit of a, a rivalry between two main papers, the Daily Southern Cross and The Colonist. And um, the colonists seemed a little bit more liberal, where the Daily Southern Cross seemed a bit more conservative. And the colonists was actually responding to the Daily Southern Cross. Um, and it seemed that an author for the Daily Southern Cross had sort of been saying that if we wanted to build any great building with pretensions to practicality or to grandeur, then we had to access those materials abroad because there was nothing in New Zealand. And so the colonists was contesting that and saying, well, actually, we've built this fantastic building here and it's all local and it was all made by local men. Yeah. Fantastic, what an interesting analysis that you've been able to make, you know, from that. And so like in terms of seek where you went to seek um, material for your, your research, uh, any anything either both kind of obvious or challenging for uh, where you went to look? Yeah, um, when I started I sort of thought there wasn't that much material on what I was doing and then I quickly found um, that there was actually quite a lot of material and I had to narrow my scope down. So I avoided looking at... Um, patient records or anything of the kind because I wanted to focus more on the building and the construction and how the asylum was, the sort of physical structure. And um, I found, I did end up going through a lot of hospital records to start off with um, and sort of 
quickly realised that those weren't going to be relevant to my research. Where did um, you find those? Those were with the Auckland University Special Collections, the Thomas Filson case book. Um, and those were really interesting to go through because it was all Victorian doctor's handwriting, <laughs> which gave me a bit of a <laughs> headache. Um, and then through the Auckland City Library Heritage Collections, I accessed the Auckland Provincial Council records, which was, again, some interesting handwriting. Um, and those were really interesting because there was a lot of the logistics of the building and sort of people sending in letters to the council with their opinions about things. Um, there was the assistant provincial surgeon was quite passionate about building an outside enclosure for the hospital asylum. Um, and so those were two, the, the two main things I accessed, although I ended up discarding the hospital records. And then I spent a lot of time on papers past and in the um, appendixes to the Journal of the House of Representatives, which were very valuable. Can you imagine a day before papers passed was digitised? <laughs> I think it would have been a struggle. It was, it was really fantastic being able to access so much of that information just from my bedroom, you know, on my computer. It was amazing. Awesome. Thanks so much for your work. Uh, kia ora, Sam. I wondered if you could more fully introduce yourself and, and your research topic. Uh, so my name is Sam. Uh, my research topic focused on the history of rail specifically in Auckland, uh, largely because we don't really have great rail in Auckland, in Auckland now, just an underdeveloped railway system. Uh, and a lot of people complain about it, say that we should have a better railway system than we do now. Uh, obviously the city rail link is being built at the moment and the light rail proposal is, well, it started construction about a week ago. So I wanted to go back in the past and ask myself, why we don't have a better system than we do today, basically. That's a challenging kind of question, really, a research question. But you were able to find some material to help answer your question? Well, definitely more than some. <laughs> there was a lot of material. Uh, it, it was kind of a similar situation to what Sash described. Um, so much material that I ended up having to narrow my scope pretty considerably. Uh, and actually, I think in hindsight, I probably should have narrowed it even more than what I did because... My, I've written a lot of a lot of articles. You know, word count is ridiculously high just because the material um, was so extensive. So I ended up splitting um, my research in two, focusing firstly on the removal of the tramways in the late nineteen uh, forties and early fifties. Um, why that happened and what influence that could have had on Auckland if history had panned out differently. And then I focused on the decision to not develop our existing railway system and to instead build motorways. Uh, yeah. So what were the main archives that you accessed for answering those questions? A bit of a mixture. Um, Auckland Library Special Collections, uh, a lot of Auckland Council archives, um, largely for the reports, uh, specifically around the construction of motorways and the original plan to build the rail scheme, uh, because, I mean, Auckland Council was involved in that pretty, pretty, pretty extensively. Uh, I also went to MOTAD as well, uh, partly for maps, partly for photos. I uh, went to the University of Auckland archives uh, area as well. So yeah, quite quite a range of different places. Yeah. And do you find that material is relatively kind of discoverable and well described, or was it a little bit of a mission and you required sort of specialist help? Um, I actually found it relatively easy to find material. I think the harder question was to figure out what material to choose. Um, and how to narrow the scope. So, so, so uh, the reports were a bit of a, a read. They were really, really long. Um, <laughs> one of them was about 200, 250 pages. Um, but 
you know, they were they were made to be read. They weren't, you know, hieroglyphics. It was possible to kind of draw meaning out of them. So I didn't find any difficulty with the materials themselves or finding materials. It was just having to pick and choose what, what to use, really. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Thanks so much. Frederick. Kia ora. Kia ora. Um, yes, my project uh, was focusing on Auckland's queer spaces um, from about the 1950s to the mid-1980s. Um, and I sort of ended with the natural uh, transition point of homosexual law reform in 1986. And you used uh, material from a variety of collections? Yes, so I started um, kind of with a lot of publications that started to emerge in the 1970s and early 1980s. Um, main ones kind of Dyke News, Lesbians in Print, uh, the New Zealand Gay News. Um, and that was really interesting because you'd assume that as published material it's sort of a bit more distant but it's still very kind of written by queer communities for queer communities. Um, and then I kind of encountered difficulties particularly with the earlier like research area that I was intending to focus on because of course that kind of publication would never have been produced in that time. Mm. Uh, and that was where I found oral history collections really useful. So there was one in particular, the Queer Stories Our Fathers Never Told Us collection, which is held at Auckland Libraries. Um, and that's looking kind of back um, the lives of, I think, five or six gay men and how they experienced Auckland in that time. Right. So pre-homosexual law reform. And so tell me a little bit about the process of sort of listening and trying to find material that would serve us answering your question. Was it intensive? <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. I think it was really special and it kind of brings history to life and these people to life to see and hear their voices um, and see the things that they wrote and I was definitely surprised um, by how how much kind of in personal interaction there was even in published materials it se seemed very much um, like a community of people who all knew each other and it was a bit of a challenge to kind of work my way into that um, in particular I found that a lot of uh, the people's names who occupied these spaces um, were only kind of first names or pseudonyms that they wanted to put into print. Um, and that was something where I had to kind of make a conscious choice to maintain that in my research um, and also through focusing on spaces to kind of give those people, I guess, the privacy that they had wanted in those sources. Uh, yeah, it's interesting about how you say the voice is actually still present in the print as much as it is kind of in the oral history and the way that things were written um, in those days. Um, I know at one point you talked about going also to a um, to the Charlotte Museum to find a voice less, lesser heard. Yes, yeah, um, I found the Charlotte Museum has a lot of um, the full runs of particular periodicals. Um, and another thing is obviously they're a, a specialist lesbian museum, um, focusing on New Zealand as a whole, but they have a lot of Auckland material. Um, and because they're kind of known in that way, that's probably a place where a lot of people tend to donate materials. And so they had a great range of, for example, photographs of the Snapdragon bookshop, um, which were unpublished. And it was just amazing to be able to see kind of the diary that was kept by the owners of that bookshop. Awesome. It's really cool to be able to work with kind of unique like finds isn't it, in, in our research journeys. And I'm going to actually just leap across to you, Anna, just in terms of a segue into also use of an oral history collection. So if you'd like to introduce yourself and your research topic. Kia ora, um, I'm Anna, and I researched 
Auckland theatre from the late 1960s to the 1980s as a, I think, very interesting period of theatre where we saw the rise of uh, professional theatre in Auckland um, and also links with historical currents like cultural conflicts and evolutions and second wave feminist theatre. And I did this through accessing... I was fortunate enough to access an amazing oral history collection made by Jean Highland. It's an acting woman in Auckland oral history interviews. It was such a rich collection and um, as someone who has quite a special interest in acting and theatre, I was just astonished that there was this collection with so many women talking about so many aspects of their careers and lives. And it was actually you, Sue, who pointed it out to me. So I'm so grateful to you for showing it to me. <laughs> well, as an oral historian, I always love to have voice, um, you know, put into into projects. But um, but I thought that you also had done a very clever analysis with, with with your scope, bringing it into just that time period and finding those those threads. Um, and I know how hard it is to find material in the hours and hours of recording. So um, so well done. Um, and other collections that you use to support. The voice? Absolutely. Um, so Auckland Libraries it has Jean Highland's interviews, but it also has an amazing range of theatre ephemera. I, I looked at so many um, play programs and it really opened my eyes to what amazing sources they are. They contain so much analysis, uh, analyses of the plays, um, notes from the director or producer. Uh, they're just, they're great resources. Um, I also looked uh, at the University of Auckland Special Collections. Uh, there were papers from Professor John Cowie-Reed, who was founding chairman of Mercury Theatre. And so he has some amazing papers which detail a lot about Mercury Theatre. Um, I was specifically looking at papers detailing how it was founded and, and developments that happened there. Um, I also looked quite a uh, few, quite a lot of uh, broadsheet uh, publications for my section on feminist theatre. Oh, fantastic. And um, lastly, if you'd like to introduce yourself and your topic. I'm Caitlin, and um, my research concerned 1920s to 1940s fashion for women in Auckland. I looked at how department stores shaped what people were wearing, as well as how magazines gave people ideas on fashion. So you got into the serials or the magazines collection in a really big way, but found some fantastic material. Yeah, I went through many, many years of 1920s mirror magazines, 1920s, 30s and 40s, which was very interesting to look at how magazines have changed. Um, it was just a very useful for collection for finding out how women learnt about fashion and then how they applied that to their own lives and what they were wearing. And just generally, anyone can, can um, hook into this, how was it using kind of like specialist reading room environments and things and um, having this opportunity of, of a scholarship to um, I really, really enjoyed it, and it sort of felt like we were getting this invite into this world that I didn't really, members-only club, you know, <laughs> even though, of course, they are um, accessible to a lot of people. Um, and I think being able to go in and access items physically, like I spoke before about papers past being accessible, you know, from your computer, from your bedroom, but being able to go in and sort of see physical materials and touch them with your hands, and like I was looking at a lot of letters and sort of trying to comprehend the age of those and that they were written all that time ago. There's nothing like being able to sort of see the physical materials like that. And I really enjoyed the reading rooms. And the air conditioning was fantastic in the summer heat. <laughs> so good. So the comment, uh, just uh, to build on what Sasha said, um, 
as a student who, well, all of us have uh, lived through a lot of COVID and a lot of lockdowns, um, I developed over time, you know, this tendency to want to stay inside and use like electronic resources. Like I, I would be kind of afraid to go to a library. And so it was just so wonderful to be able to go to that kind of space again. Um, and it really hit home in terms of if you're doing history, there's, as Sasha said, there is absolutely nothing like having the physical resources mm. in front of you. Um, it brings the history to life, really. Mm. There is something about the material object, isn't there? And, um, well, well, it was delightful to have you all come through um, Heritage Collections at Auckland Libraries and also just to see, you know, the incredible value of that you've put into um, your presentations and I really look forward to your writing. And so I wish you all the best uh, for your future research. Keep on, keep on keeping on um, and we look forward to seeing you uh, in the future at Auckland Libraries Heritage Collections and thank you. You've been listening to an Auckland Libraries Heritage Talk. Student research undertaken by Frederick Vaught, Katia Kennedy and Samuel Turner O'Keefe was supported by the Auckland Libraries Heritage Trust, John Stackpole Scholarship. To find out more about the work of the Auckland Libraries Heritage Trust, visit Auckland Libraries website. These talks are also available on the Auckland Libraries YouTube channel. Thanks to the Auckland History Initiative and especially to the student creators for this talk series. Check out our other podcast offer and follow to be informed about new content being published on this platform. Matewa. Te